This morning we're going to talk a little bit about unity and in a particular aspect of unity. And I want to start with some statistics. Last September, you may have seen in the news, a whole number of articles came out um, talking about the Bureau of Labor Statistics because there was something profoundly different in the statistics that has never happened before in the history of America. And it's a profound shift in our culture that also affects the church, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Bureau of Labor Statistics said for the first time in our our country's history, about 50.2% or 124.6 million American adults are single. It's the first time there are more single adults in America than there are married adults in America. In fact, just 60 or so years ago in 1950, that number was about 22%. And the tagline of the article, and actually I read about 10 different articles that were quoting the same statistics, said, singles have taken over. Singles, have you taken over? Yeah? I expect some, you know, arms in the air. Yeah, we're taking over. But this is profound for the church, because how do we as a church minister as one body when there's so much diversity? And in this morning, as we look at Paul's instruction, I think we'll find that that diversity actually is a strength. That diversity is what God has designed into His church of singles and marrieds and different gifting and people with kids, people without kids. We could go to a variety of different things and say that's how God has equipped His church to do His work. What saddens me is so many times those very things that God intended to be a strength in the church become detriments because there are are opportunities for us to view things as us and them and to divide in groups. And we see that sometimes in churches and ages. We see it sometimes with singleness and marrieds and kids or no kids. And we could go on and on about what kinds of things divide us. And those things that divide us are never God's intention for His church with the exception of theological differences and some of the foundations of our faith. And so we come to this morning's text and ask the question, how can we be one body? How can we make sure that we are affirming and supporting both the marrieds and the singles in our midst, both of which God has given to Village Bible Church as part of His plan for what we are to do? So many times on this particular issue, as well as many issues, we can inadvertently create that us and them the culture that I was talking about. Just by, by ways we say things, by ways we view things. I, I had the privilege of before becoming a pastor working in college singles ministry for seven years. And, and just, just helping singles through the process of where do you fit in the church? And just the fact that that was a constant question should make us open our eyes, shouldn't it? And say, okay, why is this a constant struggle? Why is this a constant question? How can we do better? And there's so many times even I've said things that inadvertently divide. And and sometimes I might say things like, and, and you may have heard me say things like, marriage is one of God's best tools for combating self, selfishness. And, and, I, and I was thinking about that this week as I was reflecting on the passage we're going to study. And what am I saying there? And, and, and just even rephrasing that a little bit to say marriage is what God used in my life to show me just what kind of selfish man I was. 
That's a whole different way of saying it because yes, God, God has refined me through that. But is God capable of causing maturity in other ways? Absolutely. Because He is the one that brings maturity. As soon as we define maturity and say our growth is limited to one particular set of circumstances, man, we're dividing where God never intended to divide. And so just right from the start, I acknowledge that I've said things that sometimes contribute to that divide, and and I repent of that. And I want to come to God's Word today saying, what does God say about impactful singleness? What does He say about the, the role of singles in the church? Now, now, those of you that are married, please don't check out. Please don't take this as 40 minutes to take a nap and, and figure out where you're going to lunch. And singles don't take this as singling you out and, and pointing you out. This is God's Word for His church, all of His church. And so, yes, as we go through this, I hope God steps on everyone's toes, my own included. And, and I hope that He challenges singles to view singles in a godly, spiritual way of how God intended it to be used. I pray that God challenges the marrieds that are in our room to say, how are we viewing singleness? How are we, even indirectly and without knowing with our actions, communicating some things that we shouldn't be communicating? In the end, and this time you'll get the goal of of today at the beginning rather than at the end, In the end, I pray that we come to appreciate that every member of God's church is valuable with unique unique positives to ministry, with unique challenges in their life. And we're to come together and encourage each other and support each other in those things. We've been studying through 1 Corinthians, and and this particular issue would have been vital to the church at at Corinth. Because for them, singleness was a, a minority. You were expected to get married. There were some things of, of future security and you needed to have a certain number of kids to ensure security because we didn't have social security, which is going to take care of all of our needs. But um, you had to have kids to do that. And to have kids, you had to be married. And so there was this expectation um, young ladies would get married 14, 13, 15 years old. Some of you are sitting there thinking, whoa, I, I could be married. And, and that was the culture of the time. Men would often get married a little bit later, usually in their early 20s, when they were able to support a family and support a wife. Um, marriages were, were often arranged by fathers. But Paul talks to a church that is struggling with, as we've seen, struggling with sexual immorality. And what does that mean for everyone? He's talked to the marrieds and said, you need to draw close to each other. You need to realize that you belong to each other and the implications of that. And now he comes to singleness and says, you need to see singleness in a whole different way. In an incredible way and celebrate what God has given singles in our church, in their church. Now as we talk about something like this, I know from experience that there's all kinds of emotions that come to a topic like this. But if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we need to be able to talk about it. And we need to be able to talk frankly about it. You know, even after today, I would encourage marrieds to talk to singles, singles to talk to marrieds, and ask questions like, what are some some things I can pray for you this week? And we need to see this issue in a different way. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at what Paul has to say as we develop a a godly view 
of singleness. What does it look like? The title this morning is Impactful Singleness, God's Good Gift to His Church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as you're turning there, you know, we've sort of given a, a background of, of where Paul's gone as he's talked to the marrieds. Then last week, as, as AJ shared with us, he's, he sort of paused for a moment before he gets into the issue of singleness and gives a general principle that applies to all of us. And he says, be content where you're at, right? Serve where you're at. Serve where you have been called. In whatever circumstances, whatever state of life, God has you there for a reason, so use it for Him. And Paul is setting a foundation there for his discussion of godly singleness. So we come to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to go back and grab verses 6 through 8 first. We, we talked about them very briefly two weeks ago. But it, it is Paul sort of introducing the subject that he's going to talk about. Verses 6 through 8. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And we see there and in the same point that we saw two weeks ago. Like marriage, singleness is a good gift from God. Like marriage, singleness is a good gift from God. And this is a profound truth that must undergird this, this whole discussion. That singleness and marriage are both gifts from God. You see that in verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am. And Paul was probably, well, definitely single. Quite possibly he was married, and we can go into some of that, you know, talk to me privately, we can talk about why some people think he was married, but then maybe his wife left him because he became a believer. But Paul knew what he was talking about. He says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, and he's talking about marriage and singleness there. A couple of verses come to mind when we think of God's gifts. Because, you know, we, you can get all kinds of gifts, right? You've gotten Christmas gifts that are like, yes! And you've gotten Christmas gifts that are like, Target, here I come to the return line. We're going to get something I really want. What kind of gift is God giving here? James 1.17, remember what that says? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Matthew 7:11 Jesus is talking and he says, "If you then know how to who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him?" And so we know that God gives good gifts. He desires to give good gifts to his children. And here we see that God gives the gift of singleness to some, he gives the gift of marriage to some. Both are good. Both are necessary for the church. We're going to see in, in 1 Corinthians 12 coming up as we talk about gifting. What is the reason God gives gifts in the church? He gives them to build up, to edify, so that the church can do the work of God. In fact, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 that if we start leaving eyes out and ears out and arms out, we can't fully do the work that God wants, right? Now think of marriage and singleness both as gifts from God. If we relegate either one of those to the background 
If we, if we put down either one of those, we are putting down something that God intended for the health of the church. And that's a dangerous thing. And so when we come to a verse that says each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, we need to remember that singleness and marriage are good gifts from God. Don't view either as a lesser state of life. Don't view either as a curse. Don't view either as a necessary evil until you really get what you want. They are gifts that God intends to use for His service. Now, as we talk about singleness today, we, we, we need to, to acknowledge that there are different kinds of singleness. And even in this room, we have many singles in this room, and there, there's different kinds of singleness. There's seasonal singleness, I would call it. And seasonal singleness is for this period of time, for this, this point in life, you are single. Some of you are engaged. Congratulations again. Some of you are looking forward to marriage. And so singleness is a, is a seasonal time. It is still not just a, a time where you're, you're doing nothing, hoping for the next stage. It is a, a time that God intends you to use that state directly for His glory. Some have been called to singleness in this room. And I have been so impressed with how some of you have used your singleness for the kingdom of God. I have had singles in this church come alongside and mentor my kids and love on my kids because they had the time to do it. It's a wonderful thing. And so some of you know that you're called to singleness maybe for your whole life and you're using that for God's glory. Praise God. Some of you might be newly single. Maybe lost a spouse. Maybe had a spouse leave you. And that's a, that's a difficult time and Paul's going to address some of that at the end of this passage. But how do you view singleness? And so Paul comes, jumping to verse 25, and he directly addresses this concept of singleness. We'll start with verses 25-28 through 28 and go through the rest of the chapter. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. We need to stop here for a moment and, and just real up front, there are a lot of issues with this morning's text uh, that you'll have different translations of the Bible that translate it differently. Some of you are saying, I don't have betrothed in my, how many of you are NIV or New American Standard? Yours says something different, doesn't it? Yours says now concerning the virgins, right? And, and what we're, what, I, I can't go into it all in detail because we'll miss the point of the text, but there are all kinds of decisions that these different translations have had to make. And I'll share with you the, what I think is the, the correct decisions, and we're going to go through there to try to get to the meaning of the text, but that's something that we could study more a little bit later. And, and this is a good illustration of why it's great when you're studying a passage to open up two or three different translations. You don't have to know Greek. It's great if you can read English. And read NIV and read um, ESV. Read New American Standard. In this case, I think the NIV and New American Standard have a more accurate view of that word. The word literally means unmarried woman of marriageable age. It doesn't mean they're engaged. It doesn't mean they're betrothed. And so Paul here is probably answering a question from the church at Corinth about singles in their midst. It's all kinds of discussion. Is it the dads that are asking the question? Do I have to give away my daughter in marriage? Good question. You know, I, I, um, 
saw a t-shirt yesterday that said, Dads Against Daughters Dating. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, but, so maybe it was the dad saying, well, should I, should I let my daughters marry? Should I not? What's better for the church? More than likely, though, this is the fiancés or the young men in the church that have asked a question. Um, because one of the trends at Corinth was, maybe we should give up on marriage. Maybe we should give up on relationships so that we can serve God better. A valid question. But not for everybody. And so Paul is dealing with that here. So he says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. And he's saying, like we talked about two weeks ago, he's saying, Jesus didn't specifically talk about this. He says, but I give my judgment who, who as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And so this is no less scripture. This is still inspired word of God. And Paul's simply saying, Jesus didn't specifically teach about it, but I'm going to weigh in on the issue. And I'm trustworthy. In verse 40, if you look at the end, he says, and I have the Holy Spirit in me too. And so he, he has the authority to speak on this. But let's move on and let's jump into the point. And point number two in your notes is live for God where you are. Singleness usually has fewer pressures in difficult times. Live for God where you are. Singleness usually has fewer pressures in difficult times. And Paul begins to make a case for some of the positives of singleness and how that can contribute to serving God. In verse 26, he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. We can read that and go, wow, Paul's against marriage. Paul is not against marriage. We've already covered two weeks ago his section on married where he says cling to your spouse, develop intimacy. But he's trying to give a balance here. He's trying to say each state in life has pros and cons. You better be aware of it. And in this case, he says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Let's unpack this a little bit. He starts with, in view of this present distress. Again, this is one of those things in the text that a whole lot of people have different ideas on. Um, some people think he's talking about the end times because in verses 29 and 31 that we'll get to, he's definitely talking about the end times. Some people think he's talking about a present distress that the church was facing at that time. And, and some people said it's probably both. I, I tend to lean to the both. Um, the church at that time was just a few years away from Nero and all of his persecution on the church. Evidence shows that the church at Corinth and that whole region was already experiencing major famine, major difficulty. Think about just practically. If you can't get food, is that easier for you as a single or as a, a married person trying to provide for your family? Yeah. It's harder when you have a family. I think of feeding my three kids and there is a responsibility that goes with that. And so probably Paul here is talking about what's happening currently, but with an eye towards these are the end times. The wording here is wording that Paul usually uses for current events. And so he says, in view, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, to live for God where you are. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. 
Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And Paul here is saying, don't look to change your status in life right now. That word for seek is to pursue, to, to seek after. I think of shopping. And, and I know men and women tend to shop differently. I'm a hunter when I shop. Okay, So when I get an idea of what I want, we have a single-minded devotion to getting that thing. I'm going to check every store. I'm going to check every price. Um, Susie sometimes goes with me to five or ten stores. She's like, will you just buy it? I don't know. It might be ten cents cheaper somewhere else. We're going to spend $20 in gas to find out. And I'm going to win. Okay, so, so do you see where I'm at with shopping? I, I don't really care for window shopping. Unless maybe it's fries. That's a whole different situation. But, um, and, and, and so that to me is a picture of what he's talking about. Seek to pursue something. And he's saying don't seek a different setting in life. And, and in terms of singleness, and keep in mind this section is written um, specifically about singleness. He's saying if you're single... Seek to serve God where you're at. Don't be seeking a different state in life to be happy or to be fulfilled. Because one of the things I've seen is when we're unfulfilled as singles, when we're lonely as singles, we're usually unfulfilled and lonely as married people. That doesn't change with the status. And so Paul here is saying, don't seek it, don't pursue it, don't grab onto it. And put your life on hold until you get it. But then he says in verse 28, but if it happens, cool. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed marries, marries, she has not sinned. But then he says, keep in mind what's happening. The responsibilities. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. I think about that. Jesus' words when he talks about some of the distress coming. He says, and alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. And he's talking it'll be harder for those with children. See, marriage adds another person you're responsible for. In those days, there was no birth control and so very closely after marriage usually came kids and a lot of them. And so that created all kinds of other responsibilities that a time of difficulty would have been challenging. Francis Bacon wrote, Children sweeten labors, but they make misfortunes more bitter. And there you see the balance. Paul isn't saying children are bad. They sweeten things. He isn't saying marriage is bad. But man, it makes difficult times more difficult sometimes. Another author wrote, When high seas are raging, it is no time to change ships. I like that one. Because it captures what Paul is saying. In the last times, in difficult times, in times where we need to be focusing on what God wants us to do, our focus needs to be on God, not changing ships. The word for troubles there in verse 28 um, is a word that was often used for to press in on. Pressures. And when we think of some of the pressures of life, um, how can... How can we reduce some of those is one of the questions. How can we, Paul is saying, don't seek additional pressures, but serve God. Live for God where you are. Singleness usually has fewer pressures in difficult times. He goes on in verses 29 through 31. 
to say, and the, the point number three, an advantage of singleness can, is, is that it can be easier. Sorry, I didn't word that well. An advantage of singleness, it can be easier detachment from the temporary stuff of this life. An advantage of singleness can be easier detachment from the temporary stuff of this life. So Paul in these verses is going to talk about what consumes us here on earth. What do we look at? And, and in, in to, when times are short, in the end times, our attachments shouldn't be on this temporary world. He says, think eternally. Don't be consumed by the desires and affairs of this life. It's going away. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. And so he's explaining a little bit more the, the first few verses. The appointed time has grown very short. So Paul is saying, you know, after, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension, the next major event in history is His second coming. It can happen at any time. It can happen right now. So time is short. He didn't know whether it would happen then or 2,000 years later. But He can come at any time. That's the imminency of Christ's return. And then verse 31, the end of 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. So those form an envelope of which he's talking about the verses in between. Time is short. This world is temporary. It's passing away. So how should we think as both singles and as married people? And he says we need to keep perspective. Time is short. The world is temporary. And we are citizens of another kingdom. And he gives a list of some things. He says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. A number of people looked up. <laughs> For those of you that are a little angry about that, Terry's class is talking about anger today in Sunday school. You're welcome to go visit that. Now, what is he saying? Now, if you took that verse by itself, and this is the importance of context and understanding Scripture, you take that verse by itself and... You know, just just have me go to my wife and say, you know, God says I should live like you're not my wife anymore. No, not good. So he's he's using this as and the next four illustrations, and he's using some hyperbole to illustrate what our attitude should be when time is short. And so we need to read the rest of the passage before we try to figure out what that verse means. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And what he's talking about is what do we, uh, what do we devote our attention and thinking about? Is it the temporary things of this world? Or is it the permanent things of eternity? And he lists some of the very basic things of life. None of these things are bad. Let's just say that right up front. Is it wrong to mourn when you lose a loved one? No. What do we, some other teaching of Paul, mourn with those who mourn. Is it wrong to rejoice when good things happen? No. Rejoice with, with those who rejoice. As we look at Paul's teaching, you know, he's, we can look at let those who have wives live as though they, as though they have none. But yet in the first five verses, he said, you belong to your wife, men, and she belongs to you. We have to take all of Scripture in balance and interpret Scripture with Scripture. And he's using poetry here to say our focus needs to be eternal, not on what's earthly. 
if I live for marriage and that's the only thing I live for, that's a problem. But if I'm a good husband and strive to have a good marriage because it glorifies God and because it can be used for the eternal kingdom, that's awesome. See the difference? And you can go down the rest of that. Rejoice with those who rejoice or and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing. And he's saying, this world isn't it. Sometimes we, we have something happen to us and we mourn and, and, oh, this is the worst day ever. I'm going to die. And we just, we, we can over-exaggerate it, whereas an eternal perspective says, yes, this is hard, this is difficult, but this isn't it. I'm going to be in heaven with God where there is no mourning. And so we begin to see the experiences of this world through an eternal perspective rather than through a temporary perspective. All these things go away. Mourning goes away and as we know there are no tears in heaven. The, the, the thrills of this world goes away because it will be replaced with the much greater thrill of being with God Almighty. Marriage goes away. Incidentally, in eternity, we're all single. Because God says there's no marriage or giving in marriage. Because Christ is our, our, our spouse. And so all of these things are temporary. It doesn't mean we don't experience them, but we do them for God's glory. And so he addresses marriage. He addresses emotions, grief, joy. He addresses possessions. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Don't let stuff have a grasp on you. Have you noticed sometimes the more stuff you get, the, the more time it takes to keep them up, and the more you have to worry about insurance, and the more it can pull you away, and... And all this stuff, you know, sometimes I see people that, that start to get some of the, the wave runners and quads and things like that, and then all of a sudden they stop coming on Sunday morning, and because now there's other things driving attention away. Live as though this life is temporary, because it is. In the context of speaking to singles, Paul is saying an advantage of singleness can be an easier detachment from the temporary stuff of this life. And I put can be because it's just as easy for, for singles to get caught up in some of these things. But when you're married, when you have a family, there are a lot of attachments in this life that we have to balance, that we have to, to keep in, in, in contrast with giving glory to God and being eternally minded. But we can go through life always consumed by the next thing by the affairs of this world. Maybe it's school, and then it's work. Finding a spouse. Making life comfortable for my spouse. Getting a house. Getting a bigger house. Having kids. Giving our kids all the opportunities we never had. The list goes on and on and on. And Paul is saying, don't be consumed by the stuff of this world. Singles, you have an advantage there. Use that advantage to not get attached to things of this world. To not be engrossed, as the NIV uses in verse 31. Not be engrossed or, or consumed by the things of this world. One author said, an advantage of singleness can be a detachment from the temporal. From the temporary. The single person is flexible and can respond quickly to God's call because those attachments aren't there. But it's a challenge for all of us to keep a loose hand on things of the world. 
Augustine elaborates, we cannot love what is eternal unless we cease to love what is temporal, what is temporary here on earth. Where is our love? Where is our passion? Is it on the eternal that will last, that will make a difference, and this is for singles and marrieds, or is it on the temporary, chasing after things that will eventually go away? doesn't mean that God didn't give us things to enjoy here, but always with a lens for the permanent. We move on to really the heart of this passage. Point number four, don't waste singleness. It is a God-given opportunity. Don't waste singleness. It is a God-given opportunity. Singleness offers an incredible opportunity to give undivided time, service, and attention to the Lord. Use it in that way. I'm speaking to our singles that are here. This gives us a a picture of what single life should be. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Just a word about anxieties. Anxiety is is used in Scripture, both positive and negative. So like like in Philippians 4, 6, it says don't worry about anything. It's the same word. Don't be anxious about anything. Even here, we're going to see Paul using a play on words. It's what we're concerned with. Now, there are good things to be concerned with, and he's going to say that, and there are negative things to be concerned with. So he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you like to mark in your Bible, I would underline undivided devotion. It's the key to this whole text, to this whole passage. To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And Paul is saying singleness provides a unique opportunity to do that in a different and incredible way. And so in verse 32, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And he goes on, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And he's talking about what kinds of things we think about for for the techies that are out, out there. And I know there's some that are out there. If you think about a computer, a computer can only do so much at one time, right? We call those cycles. And, and so each cycle, it can, it can think about certain things. And our brains, I like to think of our brains that way. We can only think about certain things at one time, right? Certain number of things. And so the more things that we fill our brain with, the more different things we fill our brain with, the less time we have for each one. Does that make sense? And, and, and the more scattered we can be, the more difficult it can be to balance all those. Let, let me give you an example. We're going to start with the... the um, People of the light. That's what you guys call yourself on this side, right? Um, I want you to remember a number for me, okay? Remember the number 24. Okay, got it in your head? Can you remember the number 24? Okay. And then we have, um, now now this side calls themselves the people of the word. Um, <laughs> sorry, the other, the other side. We don't want to divide. Um, I want you guys to remember a few numbers for me, okay? 24... And I want you to remember 32, 128. I want you to remember 3,560. 
the number five and the number two. Don, are you writing those down? <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> okay, you got those? You, got, you guys got all those? Okay, I'm, I'm going to even let you guys go first. Tell me the numbers, except for Don, that, that you guys wrote down. Or that, that you guys thought of, that you didn't write down. Okay, almost everyone hit the first two or three. I heard like two people that got through all of them, right? Was it hard? Why was it hard? A lot of numbers, a lot of different things. This side, what was your number? Everybody. Did you catch that? Why, why did everybody get that? It's a single-minded focus. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, he's not saying the other numbers are bad, and we have to understand, he's not saying marriage is bad. He's saying you need to be realistic. It divides your time. It takes away time from serving God in that same way. Now, we're serving God in other ways, and we're serving our wives, and we're serving our families. But when it comes to serving in the church, singleness provides a unique opportunity that when we start adding other elements of life in, we just don't have. You know, we have a number of moms here with kids under four. How many of you have kids under four? Let me, let me see that. Okay. A few of you. The others are in nursery and trying to care for their kids. <laughs> Does it change ministry? Yeah. I, I can remember talking with my wife, and my wife has just an incredible ministry heart. And she loves to make meals for people and serve people and be with people. And as we had kids and brought in a couple through adoption, that became her ministry. And her struggle was always with, how do I then minister? How do I fulfill my heart in the church? And we talk about that, okay, in this season of life, it's, it's in the home and, and it's ministering to our kids. But it's that tension of a divided attention, right? Whereas before we had kids, there was a, a much more focus. Singles have an ability to be much more focused. So he said, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. What does that look like? What pleases the Lord? And we could go through all the commands, keeping His commands, but I like Colossians 1.10. It just gives a, a very concise summary of what it means to please the Lord. You can turn there or you can just listen. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul's just said, I'm praying for God's will in your life. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in knowledge of God. We're in relationship with God. And if I had to, to narrow down what it means to please God, to do His work, and to know Him more. And Paul is saying, singles, you have an incredible opportunity to do that. That will, you can still do when you're married, when you have kids, but it'll be more difficult. There's more distraction. Are you using that time for undivided devotion to our Lord? That's the gift God has given to the church. Your ability to study, your ability to know God, your, your ability to serve Him in ways that maybe others can't. It's a freedom for and dedication to God's mission. 
He says the same thing about the, the unmarried women. They're anxious about things of the Lord. How to be holy or set apart in body and spirit. To be dedicated to God and His work. I think a great example of this is John Stott. I don't know if you've read any of John Stott's work. If you haven't, grab the cross of Christ and, and, and just wade through that. It is a, a magnificent piece of bringing us back to the cross and what it means. John Stott was a single man. And he said, the gift of singleness is more a vocation than an empowerment. Although to be sure, God is faithful in supporting those He calls. And he wrote many different theological works. He was the chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II from 59 to 91. But the, one of the things that stood out to me is every morning for two or three hours, he dedicated it to prayer, the Word, and worship. Every morning. He was using his singleness as a gift from God for devotion to God, and he has blessed the church and equipped so many in the church because he didn't waste his singleness. That's hard to get two or three hours. I have three kids. It is hard to get two or three minutes sometimes where someone isn't talking. Right? What a gift to God's church because he viewed singleness not as a curse, but as an opportunity to serve God and to know God better and to bless others because of it. So many times, though, singleness isn't viewed as a time of undivided devotion to God. It's, a, it's viewed as a time of undivided devotion to the world. Oh, go find yourself. It's the time to take trips. It's the time to travel. It's the time to experience things you've never experienced. All of those things are temporary. And when we're consumed by those things, we're missing the gift of singleness that God has given. Don't waste being single to those that are single here. A couple of things. Paul is not saying in this passage that singleness by itself makes you more spiritual. It's not the singleness that he says here pleases God. It's what you do with the singleness. Does that make sense? Sometimes we can use singleness as an excuse for all kinds of different things that aren't pleasing to God. It's not freedom to do nothing. It's not freedom from responsibility so I can play video games all day or do whatever I want all day. It's a unique time to show undivided attention to God and show maturity in that. Be responsible. Use it to glorify God. Another note is he's not saying that married people should not be seeking ways to please their spouse. In fact, the assumption in this text is that married people should please their spouse. That's why they're divided. He doesn't say, okay, stop pleasing. He just said in verses 1 through 5, you're not your own. Here's the deal. Neither being single or being married means that we are more or less mature. And sometimes I see that as, as a tendency. We can say, well, you become a real adult when you get married. You become, and, and, and our singles feel it. I have heard that over and over. Not just here, but in our culture. Or you become mature when you get married. And I've got to say, those are lies from Satan that are attempting to divide and distract people from a time of undivided devotion to God. 
what determines maturity is what you do with each of those states, doesn't it? I have seen immature married people. I've seen immature singles. I've seen mature singles and mature married people. I've seen selfishness in both. I've seen incredible service to God in both. We need to appreciate the gifts God has given to the church. The end there, he says, I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. And that word is the, the word used for a lasso. To, to constrain. He's saying, I'm not forcing you to be married. I'm not forcing you to be single. But I'm promoting good order to secure your undivided devotion to God. How do we view service in the church? How do we view singleness in the church? This is a challenging text. Because does this look like Paul is looking down on singleness? Not at all. And we must guard our language, guard our thoughts, guard how we view things. Make sure we don't even give that impression at all. One other thing, the concept that Paul gives that singleness provides a unique opportunity for service to God, for devotion to God, that does not mean that we as a church move into thinking of singleness as a time that we can use them and abuse them for God. Get what I'm saying? Sometimes it can be like, well, you know, I'm busy, so we'll just have a single person do that. It's not what he's saying. That's, that's condescending. It's disrespectful. It's not being co-laborers in Christ. We each have different strengths in ministry. We each have different challenges in ministry. And as soon as we start talking about those and appreciating those, then we become one body. We need to get through five and six. Five, the decision to get married is between the individual and God. Both are valuable and good. Both are valuable and good. Verse 36, If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Praise God. Some of your versions might might say something different. If you have New American Standard, they take a very different take on this paragraph. And they view it as a father letting their daughter get married or not get married. The text just doesn't support that in some of the more recent discoveries of the text. And so this is, this is really a good translation. And he's talking to engaged people. Betrothal was a little different from engagement, a little bit stronger, but he's talking to those that are about to get married. He says, man, if your heart's to get married, get married. It's not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So he says, if you know in your heart God is calling you to singleness, even for this point in time, this period of time, if you're not under compulsion, if there's no, um, for them, if there was no legal reason why you needed to get married or contract, you do well. Verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Both are good. But Paul here in talking to singles says, 
Man, it's even better what you can do while you're single. If you decide in your heart that you can serve God better being single, that is fantastic. Singles, you have incredible value in the kingdom of God. And incredible worth in the kingdom of God. Don't let this culture tell you anything different. We need you. Just as we need the marrieds that are here. And we echo what Paul says when he says, if you get married, that's great. If you choose not to get married, then that's great too. It's even better. And it's in the context of undivided devotion to God. The question should be, in what state can I bring God glory? We as a church need to celebrate both states. Not just one. We need to celebrate marriage, but we need to celebrate singleness. Celebrate a person's heart for pleasing and serving God. Think of some of the examples of how people have used singleness for God's glory. Let's start with Jesus. He was single. Use that for God's glory. Missionary to China, one that had a great effect in China, Lottie Moon, and she was single and and used that as an opportunity to do things that she couldn't have done as a married person. C.S. Lewis, who many of you read and study, he didn't get married until his 60s. He was single most of his life. And then he was only married for about four years. And he was faced with singleness again. Did he use it for God's glory? For the kingdom? Absolutely. Henrietta Mears, young lady, ended up going on to found Forest Home. Not Forest Lawn, but Forest Home. Gospel Light Publishing, Hollywood Christian Group. Incredible impact for God. One young man that she mentored at Forest Home was a, a guy named Billy Graham. He said this about her, I doubt if any other woman besides my wife and my mother ever had such a marked influence on my life. Henrietta Mears is certainly one of the greatest Christians I have ever known. The Apostle Paul. From our own midst, we have people that are serving here in Awana every Wednesday night that, that have the time and have the ability to do that, that are investing in our kids, that are serving in our Sunday school programs, that are serving in so many different ways. We've sent out missionaries like Joel and Matt who are using their singleness for the glory of God. To say, I I don't have all the same responsibilities. Okay, God, where do you want me to go? Isn't that incredible? And we support them and we celebrate that. Being married, being single are both good. It's a decision between that individual and God. And both valuable. We need to communicate that as a church. Last point there, number six. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. But if your spouse dies, you may remarry or experience the joy of undivided devotion again. I know a long point, but... 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. And Paul is reminding us marriage is to be between believers. It's the one condition he says. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. And we see that Paul is addressing those that have lost a spouse. He said, you know, if you want to get remarried, if that's just such a part of your life, that that's how, what God has called you to, get remarried. 
but it might be a time for, for renewed ministry, for renewed devotion. All of these things give a biblical view of singleness. Not as second-class citizens, but as co-laborers in the body of Christ. What does it mean to be an impactful single? It means living in undivided devotion to God, celebrating God's calling to singleness, and using it to serve God in extraordinary ways. As we move forward as a church, I challenge us, singles and married alike, to appreciate, appreciate each other's ministry. To appreciate the unique challenges, the advantages, to praise people for their ministry, to lift up the singles in our church and lift them up not as a, as a group waiting for God's next step, but a group that is already where God wants them to be. And we do that by praising how God is using them, by noticing. We need to support both singles and marrieds, equality in ministry and calling to ministry. I would also encourage us as, to, to include each other in our family units. Those of you that have families here, include singles here in your unit. Let's be the church of God, the family of God. Let's see how God uses that. I'd like to close just in a word of prayer. Thinking in mind of words of a song that is familiar. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Paul's call here is for singles to undivided devotion, but for all of us to undivided devotion. How is God going to use you in your state, where you're at, for his kingdom? He's not looking for you to wait for the next step before you serve God, but to serve God here and now in incredible ways. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we would see ourselves as your family, as one body, gifted in different ways, called to different things, but each serving each other, each absolutely essential for what you want to do here at Village. Lord, if there is anything creating that barrier, creating that distinction between marrieds and singles here, I pray that you would reveal it and break it down. Lord, and bring us together as one body. Lord, I thank you for the singles we have here and the ministry that I see every day of every week happening because people have chosen to be devoted to you. Lord, I pray that you would guard that devotion, protect that devotion. Lord, build your church strong. Help us to pursue your work here at Village. Thank you for the gifts of both marriage and singles. In Jesus' name.